Hello, everyone. Welcome to Struggle Session. I'm your host, um, Leslie III. Um, JDB is no longer with us. He's not dead. He's alive. He's well. Um, but he's no longer the host of the podcast. Yes, we had to fire Jack for getting married. And I just had to um, fire JDB, unfortunately, because if you listen to our last episode with um, with our episode with Rolo, um, I felt like JDB was kind of taking Griffith's side. And, you know, we're all guts heads here. That, that's very important for Struggle Session. And, it, you know, it's fine. It's fine that we fired two of the three co-hosts. Don't worry. Now that all that means is that your Patreon money goes entirely to me. I mean, all the important things that Struggle Session does. So <laughs> we don't have to divide three ways anymore. Well, we'll defy it two ways now because we actually have um, a new permanent, yep. permanent co-host. Yep, that's me. Mr. Rob Rousseau. Thank you so much for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, no, I would, you know, I'd feel bad for, uh, you know, uh, Jack and JDB, but, uh, you know, we all know that I was behind that uh, uh, political machinations uh, in, the, in the behind the scenes trying to force them out. Yeah, to, and you uh, did a great job. Yeah. Yeah, you did a great job. You have been working behind the scenes since your guest appearance several episodes ago. You have been on the um, Discord. You have been talk- DMing people and talking shit about Jack and JDB, how they're worthless, how L.A. is done, and we really need to just <laughs> divorce ourselves from this Hollywood scene that those two party boys are in. And you know what? You convinced me. And like, yeah. thank you so much. Yeah, my, my pleasure. You know, the, the, the biggest part of that for me was turning them against each other. Yes. Once I was able to do that, then you know, we were, everything was able to fall into place. Now here I am. I've got that uh, the Patreon funds uh, coming my way now, so feeling pretty good. I feel pretty good about how things are going. Yeah, yeah. Like you know, it, I it, I know you're from Canada, but like the American dream is just you know working your way to the top by screwing over you know other people, especially the ones who ever give you an opportunity or any kind of opening. Um, yeah, so oh, yeah. they it was their mistake to allow you on the show in the first place, and now they're paying for it. <laughs> yeah. No, right. I feel pretty happy about how things have gone. And, you know, it's great because now, finally, finally, now that we've gotten those Hollywood divas off the show, we can talk about some sports, right, on this show. <laughs> Hell know. yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah so... I'm, I'm on board. Yeah, so the big sports thing, uh, of course is the Super Bowl. Super Bowl just happened. Um, it was a great yeah. game. Uh, great game. Only saw one person um, live get traumatic brain injury. Um, so, you know, that's always yeah, it was a good showing. Yeah, when you only get when you only get the, the one, um, which was a horrible, horrible thing to watch. Like, I, I get the feeling like in the culture, like people have been jo- talking about for, you know, a few uh, years now that football is a dying sport. Uh, uh, but I actually felt like watching it now. That was like literal, like to have that big a hit take place after all the talk about uh, CTA to E after the, you know, the drop in ratings after Justin Timberlake uh, being super woke and saying his son will never play football. It kind of felt like, all right, maybe this is the last Super Bowl that we're going to get or the last one that will be like this global phenomenon everybody uh, cares about. Because now once people know, you know, what the consequences are, I think maybe they're going to start letting go of it. 
yeah, it really does change the dynamic of actually watching this now that we're sort of more attuned to these kind of conversations. Did you see that that video, that concussion protocol video that was kind of going viral before that? Oh uh, no, I uh, was it the one where they, he was playing in reverse? Oh yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I did see that. Yeah, that like, was really tough to watch. Yeah, it's very tough to watch because, and you know, this is—it's not anything new that's happening, right? It's something that's been, you know, inherent to the sport since the very beginning. But once people, once you have that awareness, like the NFL, no longer and the NCAA and high school football, no longer seems like this mandatory hegemonic part of our culture. It seems, you know, like what it is, which is, you know, extremely barbaric. Now, my only question is, is the NFL and NCAA and high school football, et cetera, et cetera, are they going to be smart enough to really aggressively, you know, reform the sport before it like before like it gets so bad that they have to think about, you know, shutting it down? Well, it's an interesting question because. Like, even if they wanted to, is that even going to be possible? Because the people that are really, that they rely on to watch it consume the product are the people that are most dedicated to keeping it exactly the way it is. Or if anything, toning down the amount that they've started to to pay attention to this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Because I guess it's the thing is like, the only the worst fans will be the ones watching. And if you, and you don't want to turn them uh, off by, you know, instituting, uh, harsher penalties and better rules and more safety like i'm not even sure what they can do at this point uh they keep making new helmets they keep making new rules but you still have you still have people running full speed at one another trying to uh knock the shit out of each other like i don't know if there's any formal uh thing that they can do unless they're going to just retrain all the players retrain all the coaches saying you know this is how we're going to play the game now we're not going to do it like this we're going to do it like that and i and even that almost seems to me like a pro wrestling type thing like yeah in pro wrestling you can do that stuff in pro wrestling you can say i'm not going to do this move or we're not going to do this move a certain way we're not going to do this move in a certain area and get people to follow it but like at football it's actual live competitive sport and i'm not sure how much they can do to make it so that it's not just a concussion factory yeah and you know what even this year which was kind of pretty much the first year that they've started really like that conversation was really going in full swing and they were really making effort an effort to seem like they were they were doing something about it i still not that i watch a lot of football i mean i basically just watched the super bowl this year but i kind of follow what's happening and i still kind of get the sense that um you know if your star player gets his bell rung mid-game he's gonna get he's gonna come back on the field oh yeah yeah regardless yeah uh, yeah i I should mention that one thing they could do is actually take the injuries uh seriously not send players out there constantly to win but there's so much money literally involved in winning like i don't necessarily see that happening i mean kind of the same thing does happen with uh pro wrestling a lot um the show must go on as they say and when the show involves millions if not possibly billions of dollars upon you know people winning games you can't expect even the players themselves or have a culture around not going out it's a culture of toughness where they won't talk about the injuries they won't uh take themselves out of the game and it is it's toxic and it needs to stop but almost no one has really it hasn't gotten to the point where they really have an incentive to do so 
Yeah, and I mean, you mentioned pro wrestling, and WWE has made a big sort of show about how they've gotten this concussion protocol happening, and they've taken guys off the off, you know, put guys on the shelf if they if they get a concussion, and they have all these tests. But you know, it always seems to be these lower level, mid level yeah. guys like Dolph Ziggler. You know, if it's a coming up to on the WrestleMania main event, and Brock Lesnar suffers a concussion protocol, like. Uh, I'm not so sure that they're going to treat him the same way as they would one of these mid-card guys that they don't care about as much in terms yeah. of a, as being an actual draw or yeah, John Cena or someone like that. Yeah, absolutely. Like, so there, w, like wrestlers have called WWE's concussion protocol fake, like outright uh, have said it's just complete uh, garbage and nonsense, but it helps provide them uh political cover for when their guys are getting concussed for the Chris Benoit incident. So I, I, I guess the thing is like with any of these corporations that are built upon the broken bodies of athletes, they're always going to protect themselves first. And they're going to basically mind, uh, mind fuck the athletes into not looking after their own interests instead of looking at the, the team, their, the companies, the show, the fans. Oh, you're injured? No, you got to go out there for the fans. Oh, you have a concussion? No, you got to get out there for the boys. We've worked so hard for this, et cetera, et cetera. And it, they, the, the, as long as they have the money and the control, they're always going to have that shit on their side. So I guess uh, to answer the question I asked already, no, they're not going to reform. They're not going to. They're not going to uh, fix <laughs> yeah. themselves. Most likely, yeah. Yeah. Although when it comes to WWE, I will give them a, a small, small amount of credit just for toning down a bit of the in-ring style that I think around the mid two thousands had gotten maybe a little bit out of control as far as the extreme matches and the chair shots yeah. to the head and stuff like that unprotected yeah, so, headshots they have made a small effort to tone down on those kinds of injuries even if like you know even if even if the concussion protocol is not as uh, you know world class as they as they say that it is yeah so looking back it is kind of you know it doesn't make any sense that everybody had to jump through tables ladders and chairs and all that stuff like that era like just looking back at the stuff they were doing in we not on you know small time indie shows like not you know 150 pound guys diving off the top rope to the outside onto a chair through a table it was like you know 250 pound guys doing it guys who you know had already made it who had already proven themselves and they were still doing all this really obnoxiously dangerous stuff yeah for it was a reason. it was a bar that kind of got continually getting raised and everyone had to try and oh we want to put on an even more ex ex you know incredible match that and then then what we just saw so we've got to keep on raising this bar to the point that it got a little like i said a little bit out of control that probably shortened a, a lot of guys careers and probably lives as well at the same time yeah i, I i've mentioned on the last time i ranted about uh, wwe on this podcast like shane mcmahon everybody loves shane mcmahon for all into every I for everything I know, he's a great guy. Even though he's the son of an asshole billionaire, everybody says they like him and love him. But the stunts he used to pull were like some of the biggest ones. Like he would put himself at risk as much as any of the wrestlers, which you know has a sort of noble quality to it. But when he does those stunts, then he would take you know six months, a year off. And that's it. Like he he wouldn't he was never a full time wrestler. So he could do that one stunt, get banged up and not have to worry about it. But then he was setting the bar higher for the stunts that the guys who had to wrestle, you know, 300 uh, who were on the road 300 nights of the year, um, the stunts that they were doing. So he was just, you know, amping up 
this uh, level of violence and intensity and stunt and untrained uh, stunt work that people were doing without having to bear the full brunt of the consequences for it. Yeah, and in a way, it's that classic boss move where it's like, oh, well, I'm willing to do this stuff. So, what you're going to say no if we ask you to do the same kind of thing? Like, I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm out there doing this. So, like, why the hell aren't you doing it? So, yeah, in a way, I think there's maybe a little bit more to it than, you know, he's he's just being one of the boys and, and doing that. I think it was kind of like as a way to sort of make it okay and make it pretty much unacceptable for anyone to, uh, to, to back down because no one's going to want to not do something that you know their non-wrestler boss is willing to do yeah i remember rikishi who's a big big dude like taking a dive off the top of the hell yeah himself. fell off the cell yeah and for what for what purpose is he it was like a six-person match like for people who don't uh follow wrestling like the whole thing is all right if you're going to do something big like that if you're going to do something dangerous it should be in service of a big storyline it should be built something that's built up to between uh two guys who people are paying a lot of money to see fight and so and if it happens and if you got to do something big to kind of bl- pay that off then fine so be it if uh so be it but with rikishi like it was just like this really mangled storyline and then it it the payoff was in a six-man match with a bunch of people all with different motivations like it doesn't make any sense for him to basically risk his life for something that no one to this day can probably remember why he was uh falling off that cage no, it's not like the mankind uh, falling off the cage where we still see that in highlight packages every year. It's a complete afterthought. No one really remembers what he was even doing, uh, you know, in the main event scene with those guys. Yeah, like you said, it was completely botched storyline where he kind of got inserted weirdly into this uh, main event storyline with uh, Austin and Triple H and those guys. And yeah, that's it. It was just a matter of like, well, we were doing this big match, so someone has to, you know, someone to has to do someone it. has to try and kill themselves. It's going to be Rikishi this time. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, NFL um, bad, but uh, you know, I want I want to say something. I've said this on Twitter, right? The Super Bowl. You know, last year everybody was on Twitter talking smack about the Patriots, how they're fascists, how they're MAGA, how they're this and that, and when the Falcons, uh, who are you know you know the representative of the people, they're so cool, they're so black, they're so hip, they're gonna they're gonna beat the Patriots, and it's gonna be a victory for the proletariat. It's gonna be fantastic, amazing, and they talked all this shit for the week leading up to the last Super Bowl, and then the Patriots won. Of course. Yeah. Of course they did. Because that's what the Patriots do. Yeah. They win. All right. So this year, I didn't hear any of that noise whatsoever. Nobody was talking smack about the Patriots. People were getting mad at Tom Brady for what? Showing affection to his son? Like, that. Like okay, fine. If you that, want. That was a bit creepy. Uh, look, if you want, uh, Rob, if you want, uh, look, we don't do toxic masculinity on the show. Okay. If, you, if that's what you want to do, that's fine. Like, you know, if, th- if that's on you, that's fine. But I'm going to be know, fired. I'm going to be fired too after this episode. <laughs> but um, so there was none of that smack talk until like after <laughs> the game was like over for like five yeah. minutes because people still thought that maybe they could come back after the, like the, the after the game whistle was blown. So oh, I yeah, just want, when, when, when Brady had the ball with, two minutes left i think everyone was thinking oh well this game's over now brady's gonna now it's time for him to bring it home and we can all just stop now yeah so it, it was a good ass game i am a patriots fan i've been a patriots fan for a, a while like it was a good ass game like i'm not mad that they lost because i think the patriots have proven that like 
they're the greatest of all time. Like the Tom Brady's the greatest of all time. Like I said, there's nothing left to prove. And like, it's actually, I'm like happy for Philadelphia that they got to have that, you know, fun and that celebration. They got to burn down their city for the right reasons instead of the <laughs> wrong reasons. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm, so I wasn't vexed. I wasn't mad, but I do want to call out the people who like, you know, we're talking a lot of shit last year and then want to talk shit about the Patriots now. I'm like, you, you can't down the Patriots. They are the empire never ended, as uh, Philip K. Dick said in Vallis, and the Patriots are that empire. You cannot escape uh, the black iron prison that is the Patriots. They will, all, they always were, they always will be, all right? So just deal with it, okay? Yeah, and I don't think I, I watch enough football to have like a favorite team or anything like that. Like I, I, I like growing up. I like the 49ers with Joe Montana and Steve Young and all that stuff. Um, I do, despite all the kind of reactionary elements of the Patriots, I kind of have a soft spot for the Patriots just because when I was growing up, you know, in the 90s, getting getting into sports, they were so terrible, and to kind <laughs> of see them go from this like kind of perennial afterthought franchise to this like you know unassailable dynasty who just you know every single year uh, makes it to the Super Bowl and, and it competes at this incredibly high level. It's kind of inspirational way if you're a sports fan because, you know, like, yeah, I'm also a big Toronto Raptors fan, so I know I know all about following uh, franchises that have a long history <laughs> of not being good and being extremely depressing, so it gives, it gives uh, you know, fans like me a little bit of hope in that sense. Yeah, it gives everyone hope because it wasn't like they just built a super team out of nothing. It was like, a system and a backup quarterback that kind of, and they stuck with it. And, you know, it's a very um, aspirational story. Everybody should celebrate the Patriots. Yes, some of them are personal friends of the guy who happens to be the president of the United States. But, folks, they were friends with him before, when he was a Democrat, okay? So yeah. they're not they're not partisan, all right? Yeah, so, exactly. You know, so, you know, instead of being so judgmental and divisive, you should celebrate that, you know, someone like Tom Brady is woke enough to love Donald Trump when he's a Democrat and he's a Republican. Okay? Yeah, we're going we're gonna to criticize them for being uh, good uh, friends and celebrating, you know, the bonds of... Uh a friendship like that? That's come on. That's ridiculous. Like, like all they do is golf together. Like, what's the deal? Like, golfing is fun. All right. So you know, stop hating. You would golf with Donald Trump if he invited you. Don't <laughs> lie. Don't lie. No one would turn down the invitation. You might turn down the invitation to the White House, but I will one hundred percent go golfing with Donald Trump just to see him like away from cameras and just to see all the stupid shit he says it would be hilarious <laughs> yeah i don't know how to golf but i would definitely accept the invitation just to, just for the hell of it just for the story you know here's the thing like i i'm i was writing for uh tokyo weekend in the mag magazine japan and like the owner he's like this uh young uh cool uh middle eastern guy like really really hip guy but he's super into golf and he was talking about Trump and like, oh, yeah, man, Trump's a fantastic golfer. Like everybody in golf loves him. Like everybody knows him. Everybody loves him. And he's actually really, really uh, good. So I just want to say it, I think it's kind of unfair that the media has not talked about how good a golfer Trump apparently uh, is. Well, Lindsey Graham, too, has gone on the record about how, uh, how incredible he is. I don't know. I wouldn't know. I'm not really sure because I did hear rumors that he's a big like mulligan guy and kind of like, oh, that one doesn't count. And like, those, <laughs> those like fake, kind of underhanded, like ri <laughs> underhanded rich news. guy rules. I, 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 I guarantee the one thing he is honest about in this life is golf. <laughs> like he will well, he's lie. Certainly, he's certainly, 
he certainly fucking does it enough. Like I hope he's good at this <laughs> yeah. point. He's like, yeah. seems to be the only thing he's capable of doing. Yeah, the only thing he will never lie about is golf. Like I, he, I don't even think he talks about it that much. Maybe that's why he doesn't talk about it in public that much because it's like the only thing he truly that truly brings him joy and makes him feel like happy inside. Like I, ju- I just do this for myself. It's like his, you know, like art project or something like that. It's just yeah. Very, well, also considering the amount that he talked shit about Obama golfing, I guess he can't really talk about it that much. But I don't know if I don't know if he's even thinking that far ahead. <laughs> oh, I can I can tell Obama's not good at golf. Like you can you can just see that guy. He's he's more of a basketball guy. He's more he's, of like an athletic sport guy. He's good at basketball, from what I've seen. He's got a nice looking uh, shooting jump shot. Uh, but I've, I was always but, pretty impressed with that. But I've actually heard he's a bit of a dirty player. Actually, like he'll really? throw them both. Yeah, I've heard they throw oh, his that, bows out. It's that Chicago style uh, <laughs> basketball. Absolutely. <Yeah. laughs> all right, so Rob, um, when you mentioned me, besides all the shit you were talking about, Jack and JDB, you also mentioned an event you got uh, coming that which I found very. Uh, interesting uh, in in Canada of course it's called uh, Courage to Leap How the Left Can Win with Transformative Demands and Revolutionary Organizing so uh, can you tell us about that uh, about how um, the left can win and why that's not just you know a Vancouver science fiction show Um, I hope Uh, it's not Uh, well I talked about this a a little tiny bit the last time that I was on the show with uh, you guys but you know, after the election of Trump, and I was seeing the um, the sort of the rise of the DSA and all these these outlets for leftists to kind of get involved in in political organizing. I was really starting to think, wow, I would really this is something that I would really like to get involved with in my own country. Um, you know, um, so I, I found this organization, uh, Courage, which is sort of this grassroots uh, political organization, um, kind of dedicated to. Uh, pushing the uh, new democratic party to the left and that's they're kind of supposed to be our traditionally sort of uh, social democrat party they've kind of drifted more to the center uh, over the years they've toned down a lot of the the stuff about you know labor and the environment uh, i've gotten more wishy-washy uh, the closer they've gotten to power and so what we're kind of trying to do is um push them back over to the left so what we're doing uh on February 15th, like you said, is this event Courage to Leap. Uh, so it's it's co-sponsored by Courage and this the organization The Leap, uh, which a couple years ago made a kind of, kind of a big splash publishing The Leap uh, Manifesto. They were heavily promoted by uh, Naomi Klein uh, and a bunch of other uh, Canadian uh, av- you know activists. Um, so what we're doing is this event in Ottawa. The NDP convention is coming up um, on the 16th, starting on the 16th. And so we're doing this event on the 15th. It's not officially associated with the convention. Uh, in fact, I think probably a bunch of them are not really too uh, happy about that it's going on. Uh, but what we're doing is bringing in um, uh, representatives from the Bernie Sanders campaign, uh, from Momentum UK, and from the Labour Party, uh, in addition to a bunch of other speakers and guests, to start to talk to us about how we can organize uh, as leftists on the on the grassroots in Canada uh, and start to make political gains uh, towards the things that we're passionate about. All right, so uh, will you be a, a speaker or... Um... No, I'm not. I'm, I'm going to be at the event. Uh, I'm working on the part of the social media team for Courage, so I'll probably be doing some social media stuff uh, uh, there, but I'm mostly just going to, to attend the event. 
Uh, but the speakers are going to be um, uh, Becky Bond, who is a senior advisor to the Sanders campaign and who is the co-author of uh, Rules for Revolutionaries, How Big Organizing Can Change Everything. Uh, we've got uh, Emma Rees and Adam Klug, who are the co-founders of Momentum. And uh, Marsha de Cordova, who's the Labor MP for Battersea and the Shadow Minister for Disabled People, uh, and a few other special guests. Uh, so those are going to be the speakers. I'm going to be there at the event, uh, and I'm looking forward to it. And um, looking forward to sort of getting in at the grassroots of uh, the ground floor of starting a, a progressive movement in this country, which I think is long overdue. Yeah, yeah. so it feels like, you know... As American progressives, we tend to think that there already is a progressive movement in Canada and that it's one. Um, I'm speaking of uh, uh, every time uh, we have some, you know, shitty candidate uh, running for office, people say that if they win, they're going to move to Canada. Left-wingers say that if so-and-so wins, they're going to move to Canada because C Canada is this wonderful progressive um, fantasy land uh, with a fantasy king named uh, Justin Trudeau. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know what? This is something that I, I think I'm still kind of getting used to talking at length about Canadian politics. And this is something that I think I kind of misrepresented myself a little bit the last time I was on the show. That the left is like really far more advanced than we are, uh, in, than they're in America. Which really is not true because the left here in this country has been just as marginalized as the left in America over the last several decades. Uh, we've got the same kind of neoliberal rot in all our institutions. Um, really, the only difference is we have like a, we still have kind of a basic functioning social democracy. We've got our healthcare system. You know, we've got a lot of these these uh, uh, programs are being kind of relentlessly means tested and cut. And we've got all these issues, but there's still there's not quite the same level of of desperation, which is one of the reasons that I think it's actually been more difficult right now to to launch a real progressive movement because people are still, I think, a little bit complacent um, when we see you know what's happening in America and when we kind of you know we say okay we've we've got our healthcare system and we're we're kind of doing okay here. So, but that's it. I think the idea that Canada is this progressive fantasy land is really not true. Uh, Trudeau is uh, awful. Um, now wait, hold up! You're 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 dissing Trudeau. I just saw a clip of this wonderful, beautiful man, <laughs> sensitive man, where he, oh, a woman was trying to talk to him about um, now. Who knows what she was talking about? But she said the word mankind, and Trudeau stopped her to correct her and said, "Person kind." Now you're yeah. telling me that that is not a person who is you know bay. Are you yeah. saying he, that person is not Bay? Uh, well, not, to me, no. Uh, you know, it it is a you know a nice a nice uh, sentiment. It brought a tear to my eye. Uh, no, but I tweeted about this today. You know, if he was an actual progressive, I would think that would be a cool thing to do because it's pissed off all the world's worst people. Uh, Jordan Peterson was on TV crying about it. Um, so you know, I would think that would be cool if he actually backed that up with progressive policies. If he was, if he like actually followed some of the things he promised on the campaign trail. Uh, if he wasn't a disaster for the climate and for the environment, yeah, I would be like, yeah, go ahead and 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 with that kind of stuff, it made pisses off all these people that I despise, so it's great. But this is all this this is the limit of his progressivism. Uh, yeah, another good example of this is during the whole initial Trump travel ban thing, where there's that kind of chaotic weekend. Everyone was kind of losing their minds yeah, yeah. a little bit, and this is actually the first time I had ever called my mp as in canada i called my mp and i was like we have to like you guys have to denounce this and and 
say that this is not okay. And uh, because, you know, this is unacceptable what's happening and we have to, you know, we can't be uh, just be giving bland platitudes about this. We've, we should be doing something to help people that are being affected. And, and uh, you know, I was kind of given a lot of reassurances. You know, you know, everything, you know we're, we're talking about that and we're going to do it. And then like, you know, two days later, I see that picture of like Trudeau with a big shit eating grin, like shaking Trump's hand. And, you know, he and, he, and again, it's, it was all platitudes. You put out like an Instagram post of like, we'll welcome everyone here. And that all got all kinds of RTs and shares and, and, and write-ups about how great it was. Nothing about our immigration policy actually changed. There's no actual thing that was well, going on that was... Wait, are you, say, help are you saying posting on Instagram is not actually a pol- politics? It was surprisingly, no. Uh, that's it. I mean, that's, that's the limit of it. It's, that, uh, it's completely vapid uh, progressivism that's, com- that's meaningless. It's just meaningless platitudes. Um, and one of the reasons that I wanted to start getting more involved in politics in this country, getting more involved in political organizing, uh, is to start actually having progressive action going on in this country instead of just, uh, you know, this kind of dog shit platitudes that we have to, that, that get held up as this, uh, as this great thing to everybody. So if you, if you're tired of the dog shit platitudes, if you're tired of the woke bay PM and his fancy shoes and his, you know, language policing of women. Um, what can you do to go to court courage to leap? Um, well, courage to leap, I think it's sold out at this point. Oh, wow. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's pretty excited. Um, pretty got people pretty excited about it. Um, but I mean, I definitely think if you're a Canadian, that's kind of, you know, if you're if you're a Canadian struggle session listener, you're plugged into what's going on in American politics, and you kind of want to get involved in political organizing in this country, start trying to kickstart a progressive movement. I think joining Courage is a good place to start. I think there's a little bit of skepticism about it because we're not affiliated with the NDP in any way, but we're kind of the idea is we're we're going to try and. Uh, push the the NDP is kind of the vessel for where we're going to try and instill these progressive values. We've got the NDP convention coming up. We've got a bunch of people attending. We're going to try and uh, pass a bunch of resolutions. Um, there there has been some skepticism about people that you know are saying you know we're not sure if the NDP is going to be receptive to this stuff. We're not sure if this is like going to be a fight that that is going to be possible to win. And to be honest, like I'm I'm a little bit new to party politics. Uh, I've always, you know, I've always voted, obviously, but I've never belonged to a political party until quite recently. And, you know, I, I share some of that skepticism, to be honest, uh, when it comes to this year, uh, you know, in some of these convention fights that are coming up in a couple of weeks. And there's plenty of activists that are involved in the NDP that that probably know way more about this than me. My sense is that we're probably not where we need to be yet. Uh, but that's what this event is about, what Courage to Leap is about, Um is that we're trying to get the ball rolling on some of these conversations and some of these fights. Yeah, it's and, about, uh, you know, I think, getting connected to the people who, if the NDP isn't, you know, receptive, that you can do something else with, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think that's why it's going to be really cool to talk to people from Momentum and people from the, the Corbyn wing of the Labour Party, because even three, four years ago, the idea of leftists having a big say in the Labour Party was completely unthinkable, right? I mean, they were completely out of power, uh, it was, and uh, it's it's changed so so rapidly. I mean, even in the last year since since the election, it looked kind of looked like they were headed to this uh, disastrous election, and it ended up being the exact opposite. So, I think people are a little bit discouraged about uh, about the idea that we can 
bring about some of these changes in this country. But I think that's why this event is really important because we're talking to people that have been there in the trenches over the last couple of years and have made that change happen uh, through grassroots organizing. And uh, so, yeah, I think if you're you know a Canadian, that, a struggle session listener that wants to get involved in this kind of stuff, I think Join Encourage uh, is a really great place to start. Uh, it's we're, we're, it's growing uh, a lot even in the last couple of months that I've been involved. And I think it's something that we're, is going to really start to snowball within the next uh, couple of years. All right. So, speaking of courage, let's talk about Kyrie Irving. A <laughs> yeah, very yeah, yeah. fantastic... A, truth, a brave truth-teller. Brave truth-teller. We're not talking about his exploits on the court, which, of course, are fantastic. But we're talking about the truth that he is spitting on Instagram, yeah. which is actually politics. Not like that Justin Trudeau bullshit. Like Kyrie no, this Irving... Is the real, is, this is the real shit. The real, real. Spitting that real shit about <laughs> the facts that um the earth is flat and yeah. rob, rob yeah. who who is a journalist investigative journalist dove yeah. deep down into the rabbit hole to find out like what's going on can you get to the heart of the matter about the shape of the planet on instagram what does Kyrie know that the rest of us don't yeah, that's it. Because Kyrie uh, on JJ Reddick's podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago kind of basically talked about how he got involved in this, uh, you know, important movement, which is through Instagram videos. So that's kind of what gave me the idea to do this piece, uh, which I put out in Vice Sports a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so what I did was I, I created this dummy Instagram account and I followed every single person that Kyrie follows just so I could see his like Instagram <laughs> uh, news feed. Uh, and then so I started, you know, as the week kind of progressed and I was, you know, finding that good uh, flat earth content and, you know, liking those kind of posts, the Instagram algorithm started serving that up more and more and more. And so I started, that's when I started to get the real truth about, you know, the way the world works. Really a third eye opening experience. Uh, uh, and it, yeah, it, was, it was pretty, pretty exciting stuff. Yeah. Third eye, the most important eye for you to open. Um, yeah. Yeah. So... <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just looking at some of this stuff and it's like, it's like, it is, it, it, I, you, I usually think of like these various conspiracy theories, like in a vacuum, like some people believe in fat, flat earth, some people believe in reptilians, but like they're kind of connected. Like they're all coming oh, yeah. together. Yeah. No, it's all one thing now. Yeah. So like the ancient pyramids, uh, they're ancient, uh, they're actually power stations. Um, and Kim yeah, Trails that's too. there. Yeah, it's chemtrails, pyramids, uh, ancient astronaut theory, flat Earth, uh, reptilian shapeshifters, all that stuff. It's you know, all. It's all. I haven't. You know, I haven't quite deciphered the whole the whole mystery yet. But that's what I'm working on now. You know, with the comrade Alex Jones and uh, you know the other the other important uh, freedom fighters when it comes to this stuff. You know that Kennedy guy having those wet lips probably did not help dissuade the reptilian no. rumors whatsoever. Like, I'm, no, that guy's that guy's absolutely a shapeshifter. There's no doubt in my mind. Uh, yeah, that was just his like his human skin was kind of peeling off. He had to apply some kind of glue stick thing to to make sure that it was going to stick on for the whole speech. Yeah. So, like you know, because Kyrie Irving obviously he he's a successful guy. A rich guy he can do whatever he wants with his free time he could go to college and get his master's as far as i know he 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 did do that he yeah he's, he's got a world-class education yeah he's doctor he could be dr Kyrie irving now he might be by the time we finish recording so what so were you able to get a sense of 
what's so much more attractive about something like this? I I don't know. I mean, that's it. It's really hard to say because it just I think it appeals to this part of our brains that says I know something that everybody else doesn't know and I'm in the know about the real way that the the world works. And uh you know, I I didn't I didn't include this in the piece because I didn't want to get Kyrie in trouble. He seems like a, a fine guy, but you know, I'm going to be straight with you that one thing that I noticed when I was really like immersed in these memes is it gets pretty anti-Semitic pretty quickly. Some of the stuff. Yeah. Um, and that's, I don't know that that's, that's part of the stuff that's really messed up to me. Um, like, uh, there was this thing from, uh, from APAC, the, the, conference with one that was one of the shapeshifters who was caught i was a speaker at apac introducing i think obama you know i think that's fair um probably i i I think anybody who's speaking at apac uh is probably a shapeshifter not because they're jewish but because it's apac yeah well no but that's 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 the thing that i don't really get it's because it's like you can you can be against the stuff that the israeli government does you can be against all this kind of stuff I don't think it's really necessary to make make the leap that that everyone involved in this is a is a shape shifting lizard person. Yeah, uh, and then you know that starts to tie into some pretty old uh, uh, myths that have uh, gone back a long time, and so yeah, it does start to get a little uh, a little uh, dicey when you get when you get that far into it. Yeah, like the like the racism is like just bizarre to include with it because it's like you the. Because it has to be like at all high levels of government. Like that's not just like one race of people. It's like yeah. like uh, like it's uh, one race of rich people. If you consider rich people a race, but like it's about a class that's uh, hiding the truth and keeping us down, not uh, ethnicity or race. So I guess my question is: Can we turn the people scared of reptilians into socialists if we convince them that all the reptilians are actually just capitalists? I think so. And yeah, sorry, I'm I'm trying to keep up kayfabe, but that's that's another thing that I think it's almost like this disconnect that people happen that people have that they need to like they can't think of the people that are perpetrating some of this stuff as actually human beings. Like they they it's like it just doesn't compute with them, so they have to give them this like kind of sinister alien uh, origin in order to even like understand how people are capable of like you know uh, doing some of the things they do at the highest levels of government and uh, and you know political elites uh, yes. but yeah i think so like the the a lot of the answers are right there and uh, it's as you said it's the the I, those people a lot of the time they have the right uh, uh idea about uh, who's you know pulling the strings and who's um causing all these problems that we're experiencing so i think there is a way probably to bring them on board uh with socialism um but yeah i think some of some of them have gone i've gone a little bit off the deep end with some yeah. of this stuff. Yeah, and I just want to make clear on struggle session. Our preferred conspiracy theory is that anyone worth um, near a billion dollars is actually a vampire. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's what we're going with. Um, that uh, Blade is our and um, vampires by Jonathan Stakely is our is our canon is our bible, and we're we're going with that. Not the reptiles, but the vampires, and that's who we have to take out. Yeah, that's why James Woods is such a disgusting, uh, you know, turncoat because he's yes. the 
He was the, <laughs> the, 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 the vampire hunter in John Carpenter's Vampires, and now he's turned his back. He's joined the vampire elite. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, I, I was talking, John Stakely wrote that uh, book that that movie is based on, and his, uh, whatchamacallit, James Woods' character in the book ends up getting turned into a vampire. So, yeah, uh, that, that's there exactly we go. What- I think that maybe we might be getting onto something there. Yeah, yeah. All right, so what else do we have? Oh, and now that we've gotten rid of, you know, the dead weight on the show, the Hollywood, <laughs> you know, yeah. dead media stuff, let's talk about something that's still alive, and that's professional goddamn wrestling. Yeah. It's almost... I like, is there a euphemism for WrestleMania now that um, for all the indie companies that like will be coming to New Orleans um, for the show? You know, because when you're talking about the Super Bowl, you have to call it the big game unless you're officially yeah. licensed. Do they call it something like the big match or the big show or the wrestling weekend? I think, I don't know. I think they've, they've probably tried a number of those slogans over the years. I don't know what they ended up with. It's kind of like a big WrestleCon at this point. It's like they've got WrestleMania and they've got all these, now there's all these like, like uh, you know, it's if it's like a, if WrestleMania is a big ship, there's all these barnacles that are attached to it now. That, yeah, uh, that are Grapple Fest. Grapple, yeah, yeah, Grapple sure. Fest is coming to New Orleans in March, and of course WWE is ramping up for their big show WrestleMania. But there are also going to be all these smaller shows around in New Orleans that um, kind of cer- uh, have events around the city, around the area. Because, you know, people come from all over the world, uh, frankly, to come to see WrestleMania. But it's only a four-hour show. Like, you have other stuff to do, especially if you're in, like, New Orleans. You know, you want to go out. You want to have fun. So all these indie companies have different shows. And WWE hates it so goddamn much. Like, they literally, like go to local politicians and local venues and like bribe them not to rent out to indie promotions. Like, and we're talking about, you know, shows with like 300, 400 people, like of people, 300, 400 people who already paid to see WWE's show, but WWE doesn't want these other indie companies to make like a little, just a little bit of money on that weekend is extremely uh upsetting fucked up and they keep uh doing it yeah uh and i don't see why i mean i and that's another area that they have improved in a little bit they've kind of made partnerships with a few indie companies but like uh for like evolve and uh icw in the uk and a few things like that but yeah it's still something that you know, it's, it's they want it to be exactly the way that the only the sanctioned things that they've decided is okay, and uh, try to shut down everything else. Even though I think it's been proven that the more companies there are, the more competition there are. Uh, it's better for them. It's better for them to have as many events as possible because it brings in wrestling fans to that area. Yeah, uh, that are going to be there to 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 go to their shit as well. Yeah, because I think about it, if you you're either going to see one show or you know five or six or seven shows, like which is more likely going to make uh going to convince you to make that road trip out to take that time off of work to get that hotel room. Of course, like if you can see a bunch of shows while you're there, like especially for wrestling fans, because wrestling fans. They can they they don't care about seeing the fucking historical sites or the Confederate statues. They just want to watch wrestling and wrestling and more wrestling. So having all those satellite shows is just a good as a net positive for WWE. I don't, but as a hegemonic corporation, they can only 
think of, well, that money that they're getting, that's actually our money and we need to find a way to capture it, which they do by uh, partnering with smaller promotions, which I, I, I just want to say is extremely fucked up and no smaller promotion should ever, ever accept those that uh, deal with the devil. Um, I know, I know, I know it's hard out there to run an independent promotion, but WWE is trying to kill you. So uh, I would yeah, think twice. And, and it's tough too, because ultimately that's that's where a lot of the wrestlers want to end up. And you know, they I can see why it's so attractive to accept that kind of deal because it gives them that path that they that they're looking for to try and get there. But yeah, it does. Pre- it presents a whole kinds of other problems at the same time. Yeah, we actually um had a. Uh, been having this discussion in our discord like all right so we um we you know start the revolution we um behead all the mcmahons (laughs) we uh burn down their mansion yeah what do we do at wrestling and a lot of people are like oh well we take over wwe and you know we nationalize it i'm like no 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 that's not what we do we have to keep wrestling local. It's much is always much better, more honest, and more true when it's a local, a bunch of local, smaller promotions than just this one big show that you watch on TV and maybe it comes around once a year, like the circus. I always think that independent wrestling, or uh, if you want to go back, territory wrestling. Yeah, uh, I think that's what was really cool about the territory system. Yeah, so back in the days, the territory system, you had all these semi big promotions that you had one in deep the deep south you had uh one in the ohio valley you had uh, in uh, quebec um yeah uh, world class championship wrestling in texas, texas. with the von eric's fa- the von eric family like you had all the calgary uh, yeah pacific northwest you had all these different um uh, not uh not necessarily like small time in the pr- independent promotions but like semi-major promotions that were all kind of viewed as being like on the same sort of level right so if you went down and saw your local wrestling you didn't necessarily think that somebody else's wrestling wrestling was superior it wasn't like there was an nfl and then there was arena football it's like no each uh region had their own league their own fully formed thing and wrestlers would travel from one to the other as soon as one wrestler got stale in one promotion he would go to a different promotion and he'd be fresh again and be able to make money that way and i think it, like it there uh by no means was the territory system perfect for wrestlers or fans or anybody but i think that model works better for something like wrestling or a, a lot of artistic endeavors than just having one big hegemonic thing that only has so so much time and so much so much time has infinite amounts of resources but only has a limited amount of time to spotlight individual wrestlers which basically um flattens the industry where the only thing that matters is wwe and everything else just just kind of looked down upon generally yeah and just honestly just from a stand a fan standpoint i mean i've i've seen wrestling in venues with you know fifteen thousand people i've seen it with 500 people it's 100 percent superior uh in those smaller intimate yes. venues too you, you, um, you know some people this i do i do know some people who would rather go to a massive music festival where the guitarist looks like an ant than like their local pub where they can see a great band that isn't famous. So I won't say absolutely it's better, but yeah, it's better. It's better. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, spe- so WWE, right. It relies on these, even though it tries to crush the smaller promotion, it relies on them for wrestlers, like all their 
most of their best wrestlers now started off with independent promotions and that's nowhere uh no more more evident than with the recent uh women's royal rumble um uh so i i don't follow wb i know you do so tell people what the women's royal rumble was and why it was uh presented as such a big historic deal and then i'll come and shit on why it wasn't right yeah well generally in the last two years or so they've made a big show about a women's revolution uh, in professional wrestling in wwe and it and to be fair there has been i mean there was kind of a dark ages of women's professional wrestling from uh well dark in wwe yeah you know of course so we'll we'll get there we'll get there all right and they have done a lot more uh of an effort to make women's wrestling a big part of their show and not just from like a an eye candy standpoint of just taking these sort of models and training them to be wrestlers but actually taking women that have like a a lot of experience uh in wrestling that that live and breathe wrestling and start making start having really great matches and it started mostly in, in nxt which is their developmental territory and it's kind of expanded now to the main roster to the point where they just had their royal rumble pay-per-view uh, which they have every single year, but this was the first year they had uh, both a men's Royal Rumble match and a women's Royal Rumble match, and they've made a big, pretty big deal about it. Yeah, so they made a big because you know they hadn't had a women's Royal Rumble match before, and they actually had it as the main event, uh, which was amazing because a Royal Rumble match requires thirty wrestlers, and WWE even having the phone numbers of thirty capable women's wrestlers is something that's shocking uh from compared to what where they were you know a decade ago where you know the roster was very small and they would just hire you know they would literally hire women out of catalogs instead of hiring independent um trained female wrestlers and this uh so but they have a lot of um trained wrestler female wrestlers now and, yeah, I, and it was it, it's worth pointing out also that it was in the main event because they wanted to go off the air which was with their biggest kind of wrestling angle, which is the fact that they just signed Ronda Rousey to a contract. So at the end of the Women's Royal Rumble, which was won by uh, Asuka, this Japanese wrestler who I know you know, yes. uh, after, the, after the match, uh, she's kind of celebrating and then Ronda Rousey came out. Uh, and pointed at the WrestleMania sign and didn't say anything. It was a little <laughs> awkward, and then they kind of went off the air. But that's what that's that's it, it, that was the reason it was in the main event, I think, because that was kind of their biggest uh, 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 angle of the night, and they wanted to go off the air with that kind of image of of Rousey out there. Yeah, so I guess I have to give grudging props to WWE for making their biggest angle centered around women. You know, welcome to you know, 10 years ago on the indie scene where, you know, women were winning the top titles in their promotions. That's fine. But like the Ronda Rousey thing, it rubbed a lot of wrestling fans the wrong way because, you you know, you have Asuka, formerly known as Kana. Someone I know personally, I've known uh, since she was wrestling in Japan, fantastic wrestler, uh, great person. She's probably, she's quite possibly the best wrestler in the company. Yeah. uh, Either. Yeah, absolutely. uh, Fantastic wrestler. Uh, And she go, and she goes and wins the Royal Rumble instead of her being, having her moment to celebrate on the top of the car it was immediately and quite deliberately overshadowed by ronda rousey coming who's never had a professional wrestling match yeah and i think and rousey someone too who was a massive star two years ago but is significantly less of a star now yeah, I, I, uh, and it, yeah, and as you said, I think it it did overshadow what should have been a really historic moment because not only did Asuka win the women's Royal Rumble, but the men's Royal Rumble was won by another Japanese wrestler, uh, Shinsuke Nakamura, 
Uh, so that's that was a pretty big deal for WWE that these two Japanese wrestlers uh, got put in this huge spot. Uh, but then you know that wasn't the po- point of the row. The the point was here's Ronda Rousey. That's the that's the kind of what we want you to go off the air thinking about. Yeah, like talking about. Yeah, uh, uh, WWE never lets us forget who they really were. So we see the, these two Japanese wrestlers who, for a change, did not have racist gimmicks. Like they yeah. literally, like even like two or three years ago, they gave freaking a ja- uh, a white guy who had wrestled in Japan a bit a racist oh, Japanese gimmick. Yeah, yeah. Lord Hentai. Yeah, no, no, no. Ten- oh my God. Talk about a Freudian slip. No, it's Lord Tensai. Lord it's Tensai. not Lord Hentai. Like, yeah. like they have... It might as well have been. Yeah, WWE has some of them... Has- present some of the most virulent races against Japanese people you will see in any American media. But now they have two uh, Japanese wrestlers who won their Royal Rumbles. Now, they under both of them are kind of undercut because, of course, Shinsuke Nakamura, he's not going to be wrestling for the real title. He's going to be wrestling AJ Styles for the baby title. Um, and then... Um, uh, Asuka, which is exactly which is exactly why I can't I hate that they've done this brand split in the first place because I hate that there's a a real title and a a, a B list title. Yeah. <laughs> Although I do think I mean Styles and Nakamura had an absolutely incredible match at Wrestle Kingdom uh, a couple of years ago, uh, and I am really looking forward to that match because these guys can make absolute magic together. Yeah, it's got uh, it's so got I, it's a weird thing that like. In WWE, it's always like the the consolation is that the match will be good, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, like, exactly. Like they'll never put the energy, the thought, other time onto you know the best match, but you know it will always be these undercard matches that will be the actual good thing. And you you'll like I watched the last I forget which Brock Lesnar match I watched because uh, the Street Fight guys gave me a three months of WWE and I felt like a shithead for uh, <laughs> not using it. So I, I watched maybe the last one against Braun Strowman and it was just like it was just nothing like. It, it felt like it was just two big guys kind of running at each other and staring every so often. No, it was mostly staring, fighting a little bit, staring, run, fight, stare. And it there was just nothing to it. It obviously wasn't the best, best match on the show. Like, I felt like Brock, Brock Lesnar used to be a really great wrestler. But judging by that match, he's just like nothing right now. He's just a gimmick, basically. He's basically gold yeah, bar. they don't. Yeah, yeah, they don't really let him wrestle anymore. He basically just comes in and uh, German suplexes guys uh, repeatedly. He's out of there in about eight, nine minutes and uh, gets to go home back to his place in rural Saskatchewan. Well, you know, good for Brock Lesnar for scamming the WWE out of a lot of money, um, yeah. working part-time. And yeah, then, all the power to him. And not, and not wrestling for it. Uh, but that brings us back to Ronda Rousey. So this is another former MMA person. Of course, Brock started with WWE, then uh, had some success in UFC, then came back. Um, and was also an NCAA uh, wrestling champion. Yes, too. yes. So he was kind of he kind of came from that legitimate background. Went to WWE, tried to play for the Minnesota Vikings, ended up in the UFC, and then is back in WWE. That, that kind of puts it all in perspective. Like he 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 washed out of the Vikings, but he was able to become w, uh, UFC champion. So um, uh, yeah, that kind of puts uh, the athleticism required, or at least the um, the higher the athletic hierarchy. Um, it makes it makes it very clear, like a washout from 
the NFL, can be a UFC champion, can be the most dominant WWE champion of all time. Yeah, like, and it, to his credit, I, he had no real experience with professional football and made the practice squad I, the, uh, for the Vikings. Originally, I know it's so funny. No experience. It, it's so funny. It was it was exactly like when Michael Jordan became, uh, wanted to play baseball. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah like it, it's cool. Like you're probably maybe the greatest athlete of all time, but you can't just switch. You know? Yeah, yeah. But uh, so Ronda Rousey, so people were upset because it kind of took a, the limelight away from Asuka. And like as much. And the rest of the women who were, who were out there busting their asses. Yeah. You know, all days a year. Basically all the women. And I, I don't know, is Ronda Rousey, she's on a full time contract, right? I believe so. Yeah. 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 So Ronda Rousey, she's a problematic fave. She said some um, shitty things about. Um, uh, the ring uh, girls at UFC unnecessarily. She said some um, shitty things about trans women. She's uh, a lot of people like her. I personally can't stand her, but I understand what people see in her. Um, but as far as WWE goes, I think it's a good fit. Like most former like mixed martial arts fighters, actually make pretty good wrestlers like um her Shayna Baszler who's a good friend around the Rousey's she's an amazing amazing wrestler who recently signed with uh WWE which I'm I'm actually kind of worried about Shayna now because like she could have came in and been like this dominant um wrestler because that's her style but now uh I feel like Ronda Rousey is just going to come in and kind of do all the shit that Shayna was going to do yeah, possibly. I think I don't. I would not be worried about Shayna Baszler. She just had a match at NXT Takeover against uh, Ember Moon. She's still really new to wrestling, and she's she's fucking tremendous. Like she's really got it. Oh, oh no, yeah. I'm not worried about her skill set. I'm worried about if she'll ever actually get a call up to the main roster when you already have an MMA uh, yeah, fighter. No, I th- I think she will. I think she brings something a little bit different uh, to the table than Ronda does. She's kind of more physically imposing. Uh, she just, she's, Ronda Rousey's not scary, you know, but Shayna Baszler is fucking terrifying. Yeah. When you see her coming out there, like, and, uh, yeah, she's just this bully asshole too, kind of character. And it's been really good so far. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry too much about her. I see what you mean about the crossover with the UFC, but I do think she brings something different to the table and I think she's going to do really, really well there. Right. So we've talked wrestling, we talked the Super Bowl, we talked sports. We talked all the important stuff, you know, that now that we don't have, you know, Jack and JDB holding, holding us, holding me back. Yeah. The Hollywood blondes. The Hollywood blondes. Exactly. <laughs> Those two bastards. We, 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 we're forming a new, you know, what, what, what would be our, what's our tag team name? Oh man. I don't know. That's putting me on the spot. The, uh, it would definitely be something racial since <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is wrestling after all. Yeah, exactly. Uh, or maybe it could be like it could be like the McCartney, Stephen Wonder, uh, Stevie Wonder, Ebony and Ivory thing. We could do that gimmick. Ebony and Ivory, or we uh, world's greatest tag team was one. They were they, yeah, one, yeah, one black. Good. All right, world's greatest podcast team. How yeah, about that? There we go. We yeah, got the world's greatest podcast team together. And, and just you know, before we make this you know arrangement permanent, permanent, I just just want to ask you a couple questions. <laughs> okay. All right. So first question: Are you a gamer? Yeah. Oh, of course, well, of course. Yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I play video games. I kind of, I balk a little bit at that term because now it's become this associated with this kind of brand. You of know, kind of it's so funny. Uh, it's, it's, it's so funny. Like, if you actually read my Twitter account, if you search for gamer, like I do, I'm doing the same thing. Like before the show starts, but once you kind of 
like dive into this world and you're running Twitch streams, like you can't avoid it. It's it's so yeah. weird to me. Like I don't I don't understand it. Like like I, I would say before, like yeah, I play video games, but I've never called myself a gamer. But like now I have to say, yeah, I'm a gamer. I'm a professional gamer i get yeah uh, yeah because well, we got to take the term back yes we definitely have to take the term back like for yeah. re- like for real we do because there are a lot of people who are gamers and they don't all have to be um reactionaries uh yeah and it it, it actually turns people off getting into things like video games because they're like well fuck if that's what the community is like then i don't want to have anything to do with that so i think the more that we push those uh the reactionary shitheads out claim we reclaim the term for ourselves uh, I think that's going to be a good thing for uh, for the world and for video games and for for everything. So we're simpatico on that. All right, let me ask you um, uh, another question, a wrestling question, just to make sure we're we're really vibing on the wrestling. Montreal Screwjob, whose side are you on, um, Bretts or Vince's? Yeah, well, I'm, Bret Hart to me is the is the goat. Uh, I love Bret, so you know I'm I'm ride or die with Bret, so I'm I'm going to be on his side when it comes to that. Okay. Yeah. Austin Rock. Ooh, I guess, I guess Austin, because, you know, The Rock to me in that dynamic was always the heel. And, uh, you know, you got to, you got to cheer the faces, boo the heels. Okay. So I'm going to go with Austin. All right. It's wrong, but it's okay. Um, NWO or WCW? WCW. WCW. Hmm. Was Vince Russo a fraud or a genius? Uh, you mean, I think you mean wrestling visionary genius, my own uncle, Vince Russo. Yes. Wait a minute. What? Uh, absolutely. Wait, what? Your uncle? Yeah. I mean, you know, my name's Rob Russo. My, my, uh, my father's brother, Vince Russo, a classic. He was involved in the Attitude Era wrestling. Uh, what? All kinds of, all kinds of crazy angles in WCW. Yeah. It was, it was behind it all. I, I got an inside track on all that. I talk to him regularly. He's a, you know, still, still keep in touch. So, so Russo and Rousseau, same thing. Yeah. It's, you know, there's the slight uh, spelling difference, but uh, you know, that's a, that's a cosmetic change that he, that he did to, uh, to work in America. So he didn't want to be associated with the French Canadians. So he, he changed yeah, all the, the, all the Italian that, version. All the anti-French Canadian racism. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He wanted to get away from all that. Uh, so he, and he just, changed just get the name. Italian racism. Yeah, exactly. He wanted to mainline that Italian racism. That's that's his preferred uh, his preferred stuff. So you're, so yeah, I'm gonna, I'm 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 on his side on that. Vince uh, all his wacky all his wacky postmodern wrestling stuff that he was doing in WCW when he was fucking losing his mind. You know, <sighs> Jesus it was Christ. Crazy. Okay, <laughs> <sighs> folks, thank you for listening to Struggle Session. I'll be back next week. What? But. I thought we... Yeah, yeah. Have a good night. Like what you hear? Want to hear more? 
Check us out at patreon.com slash struggle session or sesh.plus or struggle session.substack.com for all our public episodes, commercial free, as well as hundreds of bonus episodes. Thank you to all our listeners for holding us down five years strong.